Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of the Pharma Forum podcast. My name's Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's creative and editorial director. Now, for this episode, I met Alan Westwood from Matoki Pharma. They're a UK biotech that's looking to build on uh, their work in re-engineered honey to develop novel pharmaceutical antimicrobials. Alan came to our offices in Surrey to talk about the research behind Matoki's Sergi Honey RO, an antimicrobial wound gel that has a CE mark in Europe, but also the next steps for its reactive oxygen component as a pharmaceutical product. With a background that includes 35 years at Bayer and stints in clinical research, sales and global marketing, he also gave his insights into the challenges of antibiotic research and the threat AMR poses. You can find more details on this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes and now Spotify, Acast and Stitcher, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for PharmaForum. Alan, welcome to the PharmaForum podcast. I'd like to, to begin with looking at your career today. You've had, of course, 35 or so years with Bayer. But your, your route into that it wasn't necessarily a traditional pharmaceutical entry point, and then you've, you've moved around quite a bit. So can you tell, tell me a bit more about how you joined the industry? Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dominic. It has been a journey. Um, I started it in, in Australia, uh, studying as a, as a microbiologist, and uh, came to the UK back in the 70s, um, looking for a research career. Uh, ultimately hoping to go back to Australia in some sort of academic capacity. But as, as things would happen, I drifted into work in the UK in research capacity. Uh, worked for um, uh, a famous British company called Tate & Lyle, uh, fermenting mm-hmm. things. In fact, ended up fermenting um, molasses and all sorts of sugars into, into alcohol, trying to develop an alternative to, to oil. Um, sort of worked. We had a nice process, but... Ultimately, Tate and Lyle, um, this was a bit too, too rich for them, and uh, I, was, I was laid off, unfortunately. But, in essence, it turned my career around, and I, I, I looked around for a while and actually joined Bayer as a sales representative uh, working in, uh, in London for a couple of years. An incredible experience, which uh, was useful in my latter life. And then uh, they called me into, into head office to do clinical research. And uh, I was part of the uh, development team of uh, ciprofloxacin, Cipro, part of the, the UK team that was part of the global team, and uh, worked for three to four years on that. Basically uh, submitted it in the UK. It was approved in the UK in 1987. And in the meantime, they'd sent me to Germany to Leverkusen for Bayer uh, Global, and I pretty much for the next, hmm, what is it, 25 years, uh, was in the, the global part of, uh, of Bayer, uh, looking after, had little, little sidelines here and there, but effectively looking after uh, anti-infectives for all that time. So tra- a trained scientist, then, then into sales, back into research, from there into, in, into senior management roles. 
And you didn't stay, stay in Leverkusen in all, all that no, time. You, I, you moved around quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, as I say, I went into global marketing. I was part of the, the launch team for CPRO, and uh, that was in, in Germany, the UK, and the United States. And then they, they sent me to, uh, to Latin America, where I was looking after the Central American marketing group, um, was launching superfloxacin and looking after other, other compounds. And then they called me back, uh, had a little bit of a diversion, so I went to Abbott for a while in, in Chicago, uh, got fed up with, with Central America <laughs> and all the challenges there. Because you, you, you were there at a time of a fair bit of upheaval, yes, shall, shall yes, we say. I, I was there during a war. Um, against the uh, the so-called terrorists then, who became the government after a while. <laughs> Funny how that happens. But um, no, I uh, I left, I joined Abbott, and then after a year, uh, Bayer called me back to Leverkusen, and I went back and, and effectively took over the, the global marketing, global strategic direction of the anti-infective portfolio. Um, had a little stint in, in, in the United States, then launched Avalox, uh, Moxifloxacin, uh, 1999, um, moved me back to the United States as part of the global headquarters, essentially uh, there looking after Avalox, its, its launch. We then divested the U.S. business uh, to a company called Sharing Plow, uh, which subsequently became Merck, so we lost Cipro and Avalox in the United States. So then the focus of Bayer was back ex-U.S. in anti-infectives had to really fight very hard, I must say, to keep anti-infectives alive at Bayer, mm-hmm. two, six, two, seven, and uh, changed it into not so much an anti-infective business, but tried to direct it more towards a pulmonology business. And obviously you've had a, well, quite, quite a ringside seat in terms of the pharmaceutical industry's approach to anti-infectives yeah. and uh, antibiotics along the way. How have you seen companies approach within this area change throughout that time? It's been a heck of a challenge. Certainly, when you look, I think this is no secret, but anti-infectives, the business cases that are generated, and this has been for quite a while, uh, if you like, since the the primary care side of antibiotics has gone away. I mean, the whole primary care side of antibiotics is now effectively generic, the only thing is left for brands really is in the hospital serious infection area. And that, to be honest, is just not attractive. And it wasn't attractive, that attractive to bear. When you're faced with massive cardiovascular oncology assets, um, and you can see where the companies put their focus. So, yes, uh, I think, and this is where the debate really is firmly embedded now, is how we keep antibiotics alive, how we get Big Pharma involved again. And the, the recent um, the governmental five-year plan on AMR is, is one initiative. There's lots of initiatives, don't mm. get me wrong. But I think unless we do something soon, then um, you know, Big Pharma will go further and further away. The, my experience has been essentially keeping antibiotics alive, going different directions, for example, one of the big challenges was should we keep m- moving with quinolones after CEPRO? A lot of quinolones failed, and I think anybody in the field realizes a lot of toxicity issues, potential toxicity associated with quinolones. So in that, facing that, I had to get the company in the first instance to continue with moxifloxacin, uh, which they did, and it's been relatively successful globally. Um, after that, 
we move well out of quinolones and uh, essentially into new chemical entities. I looked everywhere for uh, new chemical entities, other opportunities. Either I didn't feel they were good enough or uh, simply said other companies took them before me. But we then, at Bayer, went into inhalation antibiotics. We, went, we took our old ciprofloxacin, uh, we developed it for, tried to develop it for bronchiectasis. Um, this was a dry powder technology. So essentially we're trying to prevent infections in the bronchiectasis patient. And then the other technology we in license was a um, amicacin inhaled version. And this was uh, associated with mechanical ventilation. So pneumonia in ventilated patients. And we had a uh, vibrating mesh technology which would deliver high concentrations, we thought, of amicacin into the lung to basically help the systemic antibiotics that were being used, for example, the cephalosporins, uh, carbapenems, to give them uh, a step up, as it were, um, in the very difficult pneumonia in that patient population. To cut to the, to the end game, both of those programs unfortunately uh, failed uh, in phase three, an enormous disappointment because I personally felt that inhalation was the one. I still do, actually. I think that uh, some of the study design, perhaps patient population, wasn't optimal. There's various reasons why these studies failed. But that's essentially what strategically I did. And uh, to keep those assets alive and to keep them moving was a heck of a struggle. In Bayer, um, to keep them, as it were, in management's eyes, attractive going forward. And uh, the various ways I did that. Mm. And it must have been really difficult when you've got uh, both a high, high degree of risk in, in terms of up, uh, the R&D side of it and then a very challenging um, commercial landscape for these, these kind of products to, to be operating in at the moment. In, in terms of the R&D approach, yeah. how important do you think uh, reformulation is? To, to, to antibiotics to be trying new approaches. Yeah, I, I, I think that one of the limit. You know, where do you start? There's been various approaches here, but I think just basic new chemical entities. A lot of the time, you you, you are restricted by the dosing. Uh, we see it all the time in minor glycosides, perhaps uh, something like uh, tigacycline, one of the recent additions. If we could dose them higher, then perhaps we'd have a better chance. For example, against. Um, the development of resistance, not necessarily, and also giving us better clinical cures. So I think reformulation, uh, people have tried liposomes and so forth, um, perhaps the, the nanotechnology or whatever, but inhalation is, is definitely one that I think that needs to be, needs to be looked at. Hopefully, unlike Bayer, we can, we can get some successes going forward. Uh, I suppose that, that's, that's one of the focuses for your, for your uh, current role now. So since Towards the end end of, of last year, um, two thousand and eighteen, you've been with uh, Matoki Farms, exactly. which is a British biotech company, a recently recently newly launched one. Uh, I think in, in company terms, it's it's not quite hit the the, the ten year mark, but it's no. it, it's um, p- pushing up again against that. Can you tell tell me a bit about uh, Matoki yes. then? Before I do that, I think you know one of one of my disappointments, obviously, is ending a. You know, a career after having the highs of Cipro and the highs of of Avalox, Moxifloxacin, to have those phase two, phase three disappointments, it gave me even more energy and appetite to see if I could get something uh, back on track. Mm. And uh, therefore, looking at when I was approached by Matoki and their technology, um, yes, it did excite me because 
the issues I was trying to handle at Bayer, or indeed what everybody's trying to handle, is this uh, development of resistance, getting basically a, a higher standard of care into the various infection situations. Yeah, I was still very much motivated to do that. So when Matokia came and started talking, yes, I, I looked at the technology. I based it also on the medical need that they were trying to, to, to look into. In this instance, the first instance, more in the chronic non-healing wound arena, that's where we'll apply what I'll talk about in a moment in the clinical setting. Um, it looked very, very attractive, I must say. And in, in terms of the, the, the company, then, as, as we mentioned, it's a small to medium uh, British biotech, but the, the, the team behind it, or the, its, its genesis, has quite an interesting yes. story. It was set up by uh, Ian Staples, who was a, a former managing director at, at Halfords. Yes. For, for um, listeners who don't, don't, uh, haven't come across Halfords, it's a, a, a large UK uh, re- retail chain. Ian's own background wasn't, wasn't necessarily in, in retail, was it? No, Ian was trained as a plant physiologist, but uh, moved into uh, that managerial commercial role for whatever reason. But uh, he he retired relatively early from that and um, went sailing uh, into South America and uh, plotted the the coastline of the southern part of the southern tip of South America. Well, actually, complica- actually mapped. The, he did actually, actually yeah, yeah. mapped a very complicated geography. But in doing so, he actually stumbled across uh, in Chile uh, a property which he then uh, took over. And on that property, uh, to cut a long story short, he actually started with beehives. Uh, In fact, I think he ended up with something like 600 beehives generating commercial honey. And again, that, this honey, as probably the people know, has been used in the treatment of, of, of wounds over many, many years, in fact, thousands of years. Uh, he, he put some technology behind it, uh, energized this honey, and in fact um, launched a product into the UK market called Surgy Honey, which is uh, on the UK market as a device for the treatment of, of wounds. And that was basically Ian's background Mm-hmm. and uh, looking at how bees function, how bees protect their honey, and, and, and applying it to uh, and developing a technology, which is, uh, which is now coming. Well, what I am doing with my team is, is turning this in, hopefully, into a pharmaceutical product. And within Matoki, you've, you've got the, those working on, on sur- surgery honey, and that on the UK market, yeah. it's, it's re- registered as a medical device. Medical device. And then... In addition to that, you've got the, so you've got the work that you're, you're, you're yeah, your the, team are the doing. medical device is, is really being taken by several key clinicians in the UK, and they have uh, used it in the clinical setting. And uh, these are these are not control studies, but they they're basically um, given what they think are spectacular results, certainly over and above what they use in their current standard of care. And it has given us the encouragement to take that and to turn this into a pharmaceutical entity and to essentially use the principles of what the medical device team has done, but to, to take out the variability and perhaps some of the inconsistencies, uh, maybe in the honey or whatever, and, and put it into a true pharmaceutical development, right through to ultimately doing the randomised clinical studies. And, and uh, that, that product that you're working on, that's the reactive o- oxygen? Yeah, uh, the R- name R-O. is RO, is reactive oxygen mm. 101, as, as we call it, and we're essentially... Uh, taken the uh, the sugars and the enzyme 
uh, and basically under certain conditions generating what we hope is an optimized concentration of the reactive oxygen which is delivered in a, in a topical gel to the site of the infection. I must say right from the get-go that this technology is not just going to be for chronic non-healing wounds. We believe, and again, uh, when we get the appropriate resourcing, we can put it into other areas as well. For example, you could imagine rhinosinusitis. You can imagine chronic urinary tract infections uh, we can, anywhere where there is this, uh, this chronicity and the potential for multidrug resistance organisms as well. Because this product is ultimately what we're trying to do here is to demonstrate through an optimized formulation is to deliver the reactive oxygen to kill bugs, including multidrug resistant bugs, to penetrate biofilm, to hopefully regenerate the tissue and to, um, and to stimulate the immune system. So we are putting a lot of work into the formulation so that we can get what we believe is the optimal concentrations of the reactive oxygen to hit that target profile that we've defined for the formulation of killing the bugs, penetrating the biofilm, tissue regeneration immune, and basically then giving us the confidence to move into a, a preclinical program. We'll be into the animals in the first instance to, to uh, confirm what I've been talking about, and then into the sequence of proof-of-concept studies and ultimately into random clinical mm -hmm. um, clinical trial. And what, what's the, the the timeline for that? What what do you hope when you hope yeah, to, think, to hit those uh, yeah, milestones? Dominic, that's a good question. I think um, uh, because we have this this absolute background bedrock of yes, open anecdotal with the surgery honey with the surgery honey RO, but we believe we can accelerate because this is, again it is. Topical, I have to be careful, but I think we can accelerate this, and I'd hope that we could get into man, we could get into into patients at the, towards the end of this year. And um, in terms of when it um, starts to be, be tested in, in patients, yeah. where are your greatest hopes for, for the product? Where, where do you think it's going to make the biggest difference? Yeah. I think that, that's, that's an excellent question. What we've been looking at very, very carefully is, is, if you like, what I call it is that sweet spot of, of, of the type of patient you're looking for, ones that are, uh, you know, not too ill or with this, particularly in the chronic non-healing wounds. There's some chronic non-healing wounds that will never heal, you know, unfortunately, because of the patient's underlying com comorbidities or whatever. And then, of course, there's the, the relatively easy ones that they'll get better without anything. So, We've put a lot of effort with infectious disease clinicians, with wound experts, with surgeons into defining a patient population that we will in the first instance study and then we'll align that with the regulatory authorities yeah, to make sure we've got the right endpoints. For example, what I'm looking at here is how quickly we can heal the wound, so time to healing, whether it be complete healing or partial healing or whatever, but we must have in that always in the back of our mind, we must have a superiority approach where we can demonstrate that we're better than what's already available. Mm. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Yeah. And how, how are those discussions with uh, regulators and payers going? Obviously, we've there's a lot more focus nowadays and perhaps over the last... It's, it's, to be honest, it's in its infancy. Um, we, we've, had, we've had several discussions, not several, we've had discussions. They're very encouraged. I think anybody who's looking at a tackling this clinical indication and b 
Uh, obviously, the offering of, of tackling antimicrobial resistance is very exciting to regulators. It's how we apply it then to a full pharmaceutical development is what we're working on over the next few months. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose it must be heartening, though, to see, sitting here in, in the UK, seeing the leadership position, I suppose, that the UK yeah. is trying to take yes. within uh, antimicrobial resistance. That must, must help, help build your case. Yeah, well, and we do a lot of work. Um, we are doing a lot of work in the, in the political arena. We are obviously trying to get uh, monies from the various granting authorities. Not as easy as it sounds. Uh, I think that's the experience of a lot of, a lot of SMEs. We, and also, I mean, obviously, we are trying to get uh, the investment community excited about this opportunity. Uh, but yes, as a, as a British biotech, absolutely. It's nice to have a leadership role. We also recognise that we want to use, ultimately, uh, the various resources. We, we will, in, uh, for example, some of the, the key wound experts are in the United States. I mean, it's a massive burden in the United States with the, you know, just the underlying diabetic population there. So we, we are working with various universities in the United States, and of course we'll extend into, into Europe as well. So this is, yes, it's British originated, but the the application, both in terms of the the work we'll do and then ultimately, uh, hopefully, the commercialization will be definitely the global. Mm. And you can imagine that it won't just stop at the United States and uh, and Europe, but you could see the potential here, the massive burden of wounds, but also of resistance in countries like China and, and, of course, Latin America. And so you've obviously got some really big plans, big global plans. Uh, as a um, recently small British biotech company at, at the moment, with a fairly uh, virtual structure to it, uh, yeah. as it stands, uh, how are you going to, to, to achieve those plans? What does the roadmap look like for, for Matoki? Yes, this is a question we, we ask ourselves every day. <laughs> um, and it's, it's got various opportunities or various ways we could go. Firstly, we need to generate resourcing to do all the studies I've been talking about. So we could, we could envisage just pure investment money. We can talk about grants. We can talk about partnering with, with other small pharma. I don't think we're ready yet to go into the, into the big pharma field. But, I mean, ultimately, I could imagine that if we can generate the target profile that I've been talking about, then this is an extremely attractive opportunity for small to big pharma. In the meantime, however, as I say, we're looking to generate that profile that will excite them. Mm -hmm. It certainly sounds like it's a a very exciting time to be working in this this particular field. It's absolutely. And everybody we talk to, I mean, uh, we obviously we talk to a lot of the, the folk who are frustrated in this arena. And some of the market research we've been doing, just talking uh, to infectious disease clinicians, surgeons, the people I mentioned, how frustrated they find themselves, and sometimes not even really knowing what the uh, the problems are, because it's it's not as it were as attractive as some of the other areas that they're working in. So uh, I think if we can bring this entity in a little more top of mind, um, we'll get a lot more traction as well. Okay, well, Alan, thank you very much. You're welcome. And that brings to a close this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast and my chat with Matoki Farmer's Alan Westwood about his company's work in antimicrobial resistance. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes as well as now Spotify, Acast and Stitcher 
where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Farmer Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And follow us on Twitter, where we are at Pharma Forum. Thank you.